Amen. Amen. Come right on up here. Boy, isn't this a good-looking group? Huh? All right. Okay, come over here toward the middle. Everybody scoot over. Okay? Are you looking at me? Are you listening to me? Say, yes, Brother Greg, we're listening. One, two, three. That was awful. Here we go. Yes, Brother Greg, we're listening to you. That's what I want you to say. You ready? One, two, three. All right. Now, listen, I know Mr. Elm is your teacher. Listen, I'm your pastor. Okay, listen. Hey, guys, listen to me. No matter how big you get, no matter how big you get, you never get bigger than your mom. You never get bigger than your, your foster mom or your guardian. You love them, okay? And you, you pray for them every day. And when you go home today, I want you to give them a big hug around the neck and tell them you love them. Will you do that? God bless the kids as they go to Children's Church. Thank you for the faithful folks that serve weekly. And I pray that you will bless their hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Give them a big hand today. Will you do that? You can sit down. Amen. Amen. Take your Bible this morning and join me in Luke chapter 7. Next Sunday, we will resume Nahum. We'll go back to that second chapter. But this morning, we want to look at a passage that I hope will speak to your heart. You know, one thing about growing up in the country and living in a rural community, small town, is really obvious when it comes to this uh, thing regarding funerals. We call it a funeral procession. Most in Preble County, uh, funerals that we do here and where the burial is here, most of the time, many if not all of the folks will pull over in respect for the funeral that's taking place. Now, to all of our teenagers and young people that are in this service, let me tell you what you need to do when you start driving. When you see a funeral, you need to pull over. Because here's what you're saying. We recognize your loss and we're showing respect to your family. Not long ago, uh, we had a, a funeral procession out of Dayton on Needmore Road. The burial was in Vandalia, north of the airport. Along North Dixie, with a lot of traffic, someone was in such a hurry, they pulled in front of me directly behind the hearse. I thought, my goodness, they really must be in a hurry. But when they got close to the escort that was helping us get there, he would have none of it. And he pulled them over like Barney Fife there in Mayberry. Like, pull over. Uh, you'll say, Brother Greg, what do you mean? Sometimes culture dictates it. For instance, if there's a burial in Hamilton from here, very difficult for that to happen, uh, especially once you get downtown and start hitting lights and things like that. But the truth is, it's really a matter of respect, is it not? It's a matter of respect. So you young drivers, I want you to do that with the rest of your life. You recognize that somebody has suffered loss because, folks, there's coming a day when you and I will be in the car behind the hearse. And we'll be feeling the pain of loss. Well, when it comes to Jesus Christ... This morning, Luke chapter 7, we get a first-hand look that he doesn't pull over for funerals. He pulls in. And my prayer is 
whatever you're going through this morning, that the Holy Spirit of God would just encourage you as we look at a familiar passage. Now, we're going to be in 11 through 17, but I want to set the stage. Because when you look at verse 11, it says, now it happened the day after. So something happened the day before. And, and what is that? If you look at verses 1 through 10, we see the familiar story of Jesus healing the servant of a centurion. The Bible says in verse 1, when he concluded all of his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum and a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. Capernaum was known as, the, listen, the hometown of Jesus. You say, Brother Greg, I thought it was Nazareth. That's where he was raised. But his earthly ministry, when you go to Capernaum, there are signs that indicate that this was like Jesus' home because so much ministry took place there. Well, here we have a Roman centurion. And obviously, he has heard and he has seen what Jesus has been part of. And he comes to the point of coming to Jesus with a great need regarding his servant. If you look at verse 2, the Bible says, and his, the centurion's servant, who was dear to him, was sick and ready to die. So the first thing we know about this whole story is the centurion's servant was critical. It was critical. Look at verse 3. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal the servant. So we see the centurion not only had a servant who was critical, we see that the centurion also had a compassionate heart. There was something inside of him that longed for Jesus to help someone that he loved. The story goes on, uh, verse 4, And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. Uh, let me tell you something about the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. He can give it to you whether you deserve it or not, folks. Listen to me. We don't deserve heaven, do we? But by his grace and mercy, he paid for it. He died that we may live. And, and the good news is, uh, Jesus knew their hearts. He knew their hearts. They said, for he loves our nation. He's built us a synagogue. Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for our house is a mess. That's not what it says. He says, for I'm not worthy. For I am not worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. He not only had a servant who was critical, he not only had compassion on the servant, he was convicted over having Jesus in his home. But that did not stop him. For I'm a man, in verse 8, placed under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and another come, and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well, who had been sick. So here's a servant who has, or here is a centurion who has a critical servant. Here's a centurion who had compassion in his heart. Here's a centurion who is convicted over having Jesus in his home. 
in the midst of all of that, he was still convinced that Jesus had the power to heal. And then he's confirmed by the Lord. I haven't seen faith like that in Israel. That takes us to verse 11. And the Bible says, the day after that, that he went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still, and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. That might be one of the understatements in Scripture, amen? And he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all of Judea and all of the surrounding region. He goes to a small town called Nain. It's about 25 miles from Capernaum. The Bible says there are many of his disciples and in the crowd. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you this morning that the Lord Jesus is not looking for a crowd. He's looking for disciples. He will find you as the word of God is preached, as the Holy Spirit moves, the Holy Spirit will speak. The Bible says that Jesus will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You might say, well, Brother Greg, uh, what, what do you mean? You know, for some folks, we get a little confused when it comes to effective ministry. We might think that it's all based on number. How many are in church? How many are in Sunday school? How many in Bible school? How many, how many, how many? Folks, in the world's eyes, that might be viewed as success. But I'm telling you, it seems like as Jesus was making his way to the cross, it seemed like his crowd got smaller and smaller because he was building into these lives what it means to be a fully devoted follower. Um, remember Kyle Eidelman's uh, study on uh, not a fan and in essence, what he was saying is, uh, Jesus is not looking for fans, he's looking for followers, totally committed followers of him. Now, we're fans of all kinds of things, are we not? I mean, I mean uh, yesterday, I, I did watch that horse race. The second longest shot in history won the Kentucky Derby yesterday. There are, listen, I, listen I, I, I do not support gambling or do it. I pray that tides are up in Kentucky somewhere because there were some millionaires made yesterday in that horse race. I'm telling you, folks, that's exactly what God does. He takes the long shot. You may feel like you're so far away from God, there's no hope. I got good news for you. He's never seen a mess he couldn't handle. You've got to be willing to come to him and say, okay, I'm not just content with being a fan. I'm not just content with coming to church every now and then or being faithful down there at Camden on Sundays. Listen, God, I want you to do a work in my life and help me become a fully devoted follower in you. Jesus said, I'll build my church. The Bible says in John chapter 12, Jesus said, if I am lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men to myself. I'll draw all men. So are we building a crowd? 
or building fully devoted followers. You see, if it's the crowd, we'll, we'll ride the roller coaster of contentment. Oh, we were down. Oh, we were up. We were down. We were up. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus said, listen, you preach me, the Holy Spirit will do the rest. Your job, Brother Greg, isn't to fill the church. Your job is to fill the pulpit. I'll do the heavy work. We had a table delivered. Um, you know one of those things you order, and when you get it, it's damaged? That's exactly what happened this past week. So I called. I had to go through Amazon, and I called, or I didn't call. I was chatting, and I said, uh, here's what happened. It arrived. It looked like it had been just abused on the way here in the box. It got here. I thought it was fine, opened it up, put it together, turned it over. Now, you farmers will say you should have looked at it before you put it together. Flipped it over, and it was marred, the top of it. Had a chip out of it. So I got, on, I got a hold of a good customer representative, and I said, this box is so mangled, there's no way I can send it back in the same box. And they said, uh, we're going to make an exception. We'll, we'll send you another one, keep that one, and you'll be getting it. So it came Friday. Four-foot table, pretty heavy. Even the yellow sticker said, over 70 pounds, be careful. Well, I found a dolly here in the church, took it out to the lobby, rolled that box over onto it, and I was in good shape. Pushing it over to the other building, and then finally I heard these words. You ready? Anybody want to guess what they were? Do you need any help? It was a guy walking... I don't know, maybe he's here today. Or, or maybe he wasn't even real at all. He may have been an angel. I said, an angel from heaven. He was walking home north of the church. He had a 12-pack of Mountain Dew and two Red Bulls in his hand. And he put that stuff down, and we walked in, and he said, yeah, let me help you with that. And I'm telling you, what was hard became not so hard because somebody else was really handling the weight of the load. That's what Jesus wants to do in your life. That's what he wants to do in your life. He wants to say, listen, I will do it. You just be obedient. You just be obedient. Hey, folks, uh, and, and I told him, I said, his name was Fred. I said, Fred, that's an easy name to remember. My middle name, my dad's name. I said, you are an angel from heaven. He said, I think I went to school with your son. And he did. And I told him kind of about his, you know, where he's at, he's got a family. You know what he said to me? I'll never forget this. He goes, I always knew he would amount to be something. I said, Fred, that's kind of you to say that. Because only by the grace of God are any of us anything. So listen to me, folks. The power comes from Jesus. And you might be here today, and, and, you're, and, and you young parents, listen, we know how it is. I mean, you're spinning the plates trying to raise a family. Anybody want to say amen? Hopefully a steady job, a steady income. Things aren't getting any cheaper. Amen? Uh, who would, <laughs> man alive, I went to got mower gas yesterday. We're living in a different age, folks. Before long, people are going to start panicking. 
that things are out of control. But I've got good news for you. It's this Jesus who will build his church that can handle your life. If you're willing to say, thank you, here, here, here. Let's be intentional every time we have an opportunity as a church to introduce the crowd to Jesus. You see, the crowd's with him now. They're following. They've seen what he's been doing. The disciples are right there. Let's make sure anything that attracts a crowd in our church from time to time that we introduce people to Jesus. Now, in verse 11, the Bible says he goes to this town. They're with him, and he is coming into town. And when he came near, in verse 12, the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out. So this morning, I believe we get a picture of two crowds, the tale of two crowds. What happens is quite remarkable. If you want your funeral procession to be interrupted, would you not pick the Lord Jesus Christ to be the one that does it? He approaches the gate, and he meets a friend. What do you say? Jesus doesn't even know him. Let me tell you something, folks. We weren't alive when Jesus walked this earth, but he knows us, and he knows you. He knows what you need. He approaches a procession that's heading to the cemetery. This is a tale of two crowds. When Jesus shows up, there's no coincidence. He has a plan. I mean, have you ever run into somebody and you say, I can't believe, I can't believe it's you. I, I, I've gotten off elevators in Cincinnati hospitals and the door opens and there's somebody from the church standing there. God has a way of putting people together. So here is a tale of two crowds. Listen to me uh, quickly. First of all, one crowd was heading to the city. The other crowd was heading to the cemetery. I believe Mother's Day gives us a picture of those two things, celebration and heartbreak, gladness and sorrow. I asked Kelly Talby, who, who, who oversees our church Facebook page, to do a little random survey and to ask folks, what do you remember about your mom? Or what's something positive you remember about your mom? Here are some of the responses. Oh, my mom was a good cook. Anybody want to say amen to that? I can remember her getting up at 4.30 before dad went to work, and she always got up at before we went to school to make our breakfast hot. My mom taught me about God's love. I remember walks with my mom. This is an interesting one. And we would collect acorns. And then we would paint small faces on the acorns because the acorns always did have a hat anyway. My mom made sure we were warm, fed, and clothed. My mom made me go to church. Okay, let's just camp there one more time. Parents, make your kids come to church. I, I, I was never so tired in my life growing up than on Sunday morning. And the sleep was never better than it's ever been on Sunday morning. And dad would get up and turn on moon mullins on the radio and blare this bluegrass music. Listen, we're going to church like 
the, the car leaves in such and such minute. It's a little quiet. Somebody say amen. Here are a few others. My mom was a homemaker. Amen. She was always there for us and took care of dad. Because of my mom's faithfulness, I'm a Christian today. Now, I don't believe that person saying I'm a Christian based on their faith. I believe they're saying her illustration and model for my life helped me come to Christ. My mom never gossiped or said a bad word about anybody. Man, what a testimony. My mom was a great seamstress. We also made pies together. She made the filling, I made the crust. I bet dad was the one who ate, amen? My mom was my number one from day one. Mom was the biggest cheerleader in my life and still is. She always said, go get them, tiger, and I would respond with a roar. My mom was always helping people. My mom always wanted us to stay a little longer when we would visit with her. Mom never saw a stranger. Mom used to clean the church, and we would practice like we were teaching Sunday school. And then I love this last one. My mom was 17 when I was born. I like to tell her we grew up together. You know, you might have a thought about your mom this morning, and the emotion may be both wonderful and sorrowful. But when you look at two cities, listen to me, when you look at the tale of two cities, one is going to be with the Lord, the other is to the cemetery. Now, let me remind you, one was heading to the city, the other to the cemetery. Jesus was heading to the city. But there's also in this story the tale of two sons. One was alive and destined to die. The other was dead and destined to live. You see, Jesus was going to the cross. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The word begotten means unique, the only one. The Son of God testifies to the divinity of Jesus and his relationship to the Father. Now, remind you this morning, who is Jesus? In the beginning was the Word, John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was God. The Word was God. The Bible says in verse 14, John 1, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten, the one and only of the Father, full of grace and truth. One is heading to the city, the other to the cemetery. The Bible says about this widow, listen to me, she had not only heading to the cemetery to bury her son, she had already buried her husband. She's by herself. What does she do? Some of you mothers today are raising small babies and children. They're so fragile, they completely are dependent upon everything you do to take care of them. You know what the greatest thing you can begin to do for your kids, moms, listen to me, is pray for them. Pray for them. Thank God for them. 
Uh, you've already figured out that, that your perfect little child is not perfect all the time. Um, folks, listen, only by the grace of God do they make good decisions. Celebrate the good decisions. Give them a call and say, listen, I know we don't do it exactly the same way, but I am proud of you. You're a good mom. I know it's not easy. You're a good mom. Uh, Renee and our dog. We want, who's staying with us? Which boy? No, there's no boys. The only boy is Lucky. We came there at 5 o'clock tonight. Listen to me. We live in a world, listen, is full of hardship, despair, discouragement. Quit watching 24-7 news. My goodness. If you watch the news, folks, you think we live in the worst nation in the world right now. The answer is not going to be who the President of the United States is. The answer is Jesus Christ. And, and listen to me. I'll, I'm going to say it one more time in the life of this church. You mix politics and religion, you get politics. So if you just want to make everybody mad at you in your circle, just keep talking about television. But I'm telling you, when you look at what Jesus does, he puts broken pieces together. And, and I think we all would agree that as wonderful as America is, we certainly are broken. I mean, when we have to pray prayers like this, God help us love people that might vandalize our church. Help us love folks that don't agree with our stance on life. The issue is not a woman's choice. The issue is, is a baby alive. So, two sons, and man, they're different, they're different ends of the spectrum. Some today might be planning to spend the day with your mom, and I pray you can, while others will show love and respect, maybe even at a cemetery. Maybe you had the greatest relationship with a mom any kid could have. Or perhaps you would say, if I could do some things differently, I might do that. I'm telling you, there's a contrast in these two crowds, and there's a contrast in these two sons. And here's what we see in this passage. The Bible says in verse 13, when the Lord saw her, you know who that is? The mother. When the Lord saw her, the mother's heart who was broken, he knew the need that he would meet. He knew what he was going to do. The Bible tells us in Lamentations chapter 3, Lamentations are the lamenting of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. The Bible says in Lamentations 3.32, though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. The Bible tells us in uh, John chapter 11, verse 35, that short verse, Jesus wept. Who did he weep for? He wept for the loss of Mary and Martha. He wept for the loss of his friend Lazarus. He wept for the lack of faith. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Folks, there's not an emotion you experience that Jesus didn't deal with. And he knows it's just the same. You see, Jesus could understand her grief better than anyone. And if he could understand her grief, he understands you and me. Amen? He understands you and me. Maybe you've lost a child. Maybe you're grieving the loss of your mother. Maybe you're praying for God to give you a baby. God sees you. How do I know that, Brother Greg? Because Isaiah the prophet said he is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knows her heart. Look at verse 13. So when the Lord sees her, he had compassion on her and said, do not weep. Do not weep. Uh, weeping here is to express grief at parting. At parting. Now listen to me. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you're going to the city. The beautiful city of God. Amen? The Bible talks about that. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 10, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16, they all died in the faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Verse 16, but now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Let me tell you something. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you're heading to the city of God, heaven. Don't let the cares of the world override you uh, to the point where you're always worried about everything. You can't live, you can't live with joy that way. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen tomorrow? Listen, your joy better not be in the stock market right now. We don't control that. We don't control that. Our peace is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Listen, we are on our way to the city. But if you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're already in the cemetery. You're already there. You say, what do you mean, Brother Greg? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. John 3, 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life. You see, that's a decision that we have to make. That's a decision that we have to make. You say, what, what do I need to do? You need to place your faith in Christ. The greatest gift you could give your spouse is a wife or a husband, men, listen to me, who knows Jesus as Savior. The greatest gift you could give your kids is peace in their heart, knowing that mom is a Christian, that dad is a Christian. The greatest gift you could give your parents, kids, is for them to know that you know Christ as your Savior and Lord. Now, the Bible says Jesus does something. He touches the coffin Many commentators believe this would be more like a stretcher that they're carrying. Very easy for Jesus to touch him and very easy to sit up. I love that when you think about a funeral. One preacher said this. When Jesus shows up, the, the, the funeral's over. It's done. It's over. Who does? Jesus. Yesterday, 
uh, we were at Wendy's, and there was a sign on the wall at Wendy's that had something to do with uh, something like this. There's one word that this establishment is going to be associated with. Fresh. I told Renee, I'm going to use it tomorrow. There's one word that we ought to be established and associated with. Jesus. He's the game changer. He's the life changer. And you might be here today and you say, Brother Greg, every time you give an invitation, I feel convicted that I need to do something. Well, if, you're, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you need to be saved. You say, well, I pray with you every time you offer a prayer. I'm, telling you, I'm asking you this morning to settle it once and for all. If you say you pray every time I pray, you're telling me that you're not all in. Settle it once and for all and ask God to do a work in your life and tell him, listen, I'm not heading to the cemetery anymore. I'm heading to the city. I'm heading to the city. But yet there's another tale, and we'll close with this, the tale of two enemies, death and life, sin and holiness. The Bible says, for the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says Jesus faced death. 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And when I think about the life in which we live this morning, it's associated with pain, it's associated with loss, but I'm telling you, when Jesus steps into your funeral, there will be victory. You don't want Jesus to pass by. You want to invite him in. So what happens? Jesus says in verse 14, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. Number four, there should be evidence of life. When you give your life to Christ, there should be some evidence that you're saved. What do you mean, what do you mean Brother Greg? There should be some fruit. Because the picture we see here is this corpse hears, this corpse listens and this corpse responds in obedience. Next Sunday morning, we're going to baptize. Maybe you're here today, and you're a Christian, and you say, I'm a Christian, Brother Greg. I'm a believer, but I've never followed in baptism by immersion. I'm going to ask you to come during the invitation and say, I need to be baptized. I need to take that step of obedience. Now, don't give me this. I'm afraid. Because next Sunday morning in the first service, we're going to baptize a young boy who knows nothing else that he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. You come. You come. And then number six, um, or B, uh, you hear and listen to the master. You obey the voice. Number five, let Jesus change your plans. Amen? Let him change your plans. Sometimes when he steps in, it's way better than what you had in, in mind. We're heading to the cemetery. How final could it not be? And Jesus steps in and said, not so fast. There's a change of plans. Arise. And that's what he wants to call on some of you to do today. Come to him. Surrender your life. Give your heart to Christ. Maybe some of you moms need to lead the way today. Some of you dads. You've been praying together, many of our church couples, many of you are praying together. Listen, don't, don't quit. Hang in there. Dealt with some tough topics over the past, past few days. Communication and forgiveness. 
But today, would you give your heart to Jesus Christ? Don't. Jesus doesn't want to pull over. He wants to pull in. Let's all stand, every heart, every head bowed, every heart. You might be here today and you say, Brother Greg, okay, what do I need to do? Well, I've mentioned a couple things. If you've never given your heart to Christ, I'm going to invite you to come. We'll have a prayer right here together. Maybe you've given your heart to Jesus, but you've never followed in baptism. We recognize baptism doesn't save you, but it's the first step of obedience for a believer. Why would you not want to? Okay? Come on. Father, have your way in this invitation. Thank you, Lord, for the tale of two cities, the tale of two sons, and the tale of two enemies, and there is victory in Jesus, Lord. You're more than the conqueror. We are in you. So help us to live for you. Help us to be bold right now. Help us to be obedient. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's sing without him together. If you need to come, come now. bless you this morning. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for uh, showing up and, and asking God to just do a work in your heart. Uh, I know we've got some guests today. As Cody mentioned, one thing you can do to help us is take that bulletin, tear off that back, and just drop it in an offering box on the way back. And, and I, I want to thank you for that. We want to make sure we don't miss your visit. And we are delighted that you are here.